the idea of single-use or disposable products. It's built on a mindset of disposable people and a disposable planet, right? And so, so, so much of this is about changing the narrative about really how we other other people and how we other the natural world. That's Jamie Harvey reflecting on the paradigm and perspective piece that's at stake as he works on the practical project of ending the use of single-use bags. When I first connected with Jamie, he told me about this campaign he'd recently been a part of in Duluth, Minnesota, to move on from single-use bags and promote a culture of reuse. Pretty quickly, though, I learned how much wider his scope of action and reflection has been. He led the effort to phase mercury out of healthcare here in the U.S., He's involved in a Rights of Nature campaign. He's the executive director of the Psychedelic Research and Training Institute. He loves seeing individuals realize their own potential to create change. And he holds questions like, how can we have an economy that's in service of the sacred? How do we see the sacred in one another? What kinds of shifts in perspective can come out of the Rights of Nature conversation that are even more important than any laws. This conversation was a delight, and we get into so many subjects, so I'll give just a few more moments to letting you know a couple of things before we jump in. I'll be taking a brief pause after this episode, as I did last year around the winter solstice, to get a little more rest and quiet than usual. Your next episode will be here on the January full moon, and I'm so excited about the conversations coming up about how feminine pleasure and erotic aliveness are so vital to a life-sustaining society, why and how people are building and protecting a non-GMO food supply, and more about protecting rainforest ecosystems and human communities from mining, just to name a few. So in the meantime, I would love it if you'd grab the link to this episode and share it with a friend or two who might appreciate it or a past episode if you've got someone in mind who would like it. Personal sharing is the way that Turning Season Podcast is gradually growing, and it would be fantastic to have more people in this conversation. Please also know that we, my guests and I, sincerely want to be in conversation with you too. So comment on this episode at turningseason.com slash episode 7. Or find me on Instagram at Leilani underscore underscore Navar. You're listening to Turning Season Podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar, here with your dedicated dose of active hope. I'm delighted to bring you these conversations with the inspired individuals who are collectively shifting us to a life-sustaining society. You'll hear from all kinds of healers and change makers playing their unique part in the great turning. From healing personal trauma to visionary thinking, decolonization to building composting toilets, new innovations to bridging social divides, there are thousands of reasons and ways to participate. Keep listening to find out more of what's being done already and what's possible. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and come to turningseason.com to connect. My guest today is Jamie Harvey. Jamie is nationally recognized for his experience at the nexus of health, community, environment, and healthcare. 
Jamie led the successful coordination and passage of mercury product legislation and the phase out of healthcare mercury. He founded and directed the Healthy Food in Healthcare campaign, and he's credited with raising the alarm and initiating the transformation of healthcare food policy nationally. Jamie is the recipient of the NRDC National Thought Leader Award for his work on sustainable food systems and healthcare. He received the Paul and Sheila Wellstone Achievement Award from the Minnesota Public Health Association for his lifetime contributions to public health in Minnesota. He's the founder of the One Sacred Earth Project and serves as the executive director of the Psychedelic Research and Training Institute. He consults, facilitates, and presents around the country. He finds peace in the woods and on mountaintops, and his joy gliding on skis in the snow out in Duluth, Minnesota, where he lives with his wife, Nancy, and his dog, Lucy. And I'm so excited to be talking with Jamie today because I know that with all of that that he's done in the past, he also has lots going on now and a lot of heart behind it and deep reflections going on in the process. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jamie. Oh, it's a delight to be here. So I'll ask you first about yourself, a glimpse into you and your heart. We'll, we'll do some questions from the work that reconnects and I'll invite you to, to finish this open sentence. Some things I love about being alive on earth are well, you touched on some of that in my bio. I love waking up in the morning and just feeling right now the nice brisk cool on my face and smelling the leaves, being on mountaintops, feeling the wind. And it, I think it makes me both feel small, like small, just small in this big, beautiful world. But, you know, flowers, I love seeing people transform and suddenly realize their inner potential and able to transform themselves the world i don't know it's, mm. there's so much <laughs> yeah. those are beautiful things i love mm. all of them too yeah. um and now on the on the honoring our pain side of things how would you finish this sentence when i look around at what's happening in the world what breaks my heart is Right now, um, I'm just, I'm really saddened by what feels like the inability for people to just listen closely to one another and see, I think it's, it's, it's their pain that they're feeling and how they project it into the world. And I, that just kind of breaks my heart. Um, and, and, um, there's, there's a lot of talking past one another. And I guess I would just, um, so it breaks my heart to not really see the potential for connection and, and, and healing. Um, I don't know, some, something in there. It's yeah. Yeah. And I know you have experience working in different groups and different contexts when, with organizing together or leading um, your the research and training institute, and so is there anything you could share about that around people really listening? What what is it like? What does it take for people to really listen and work together? 
in your experience? I think um, maybe because our times feel so challenging right now um, and that people don't know where the future will like where we'll be as a species and I don't think we've ever really known <laughs> but we kind of assumed we had greater clarity around that um, and so there's this I think a, a, a desire to just getting into the doing into the doing phase we have to you know we have to fight the climate crisis we have to do this we have to do x y and z and and there's less time given into the being place and um someone reminded me a week or so ago that you know we're human beings not human doings mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's that it's that space in between because we don't start with ourselves um and so i i think where where the magic happens is when when you're working as a group is to just slow down and find those shared interests and you know we did we did a campaign here in Duluth around single use um, bags and and the first time a couple of times we met just we invited community members to come and see who wanted to participate and explore what we might be able to do in our community and and the time we spent was uh, first couple of meetings was was not about the strategy and you know the skill sets etc cetera, etc cetera. it was just about why are you here right? what brings you here and for some it was just the the sacredness of this beautiful lake that we sit next to the biggest freshwater lake and it would just um, and i think sometimes people have a hard time expressing that that something bigger that's special that's ineffable really and but um and for others it was just a sense of like it's just how can we waste the precious resources and you know so there are a couple of different things but it was it was it was getting to know one another at, at a more core level just moving from our heads deeper into our hearts and and um i really think that helped help us move forward because in in the work um we are connecting as as um not as machines but as human beings all trying to figure out what it means to be human in you know in in this time and and in a time when um we're really i guess spiritual bodies in human form and how, what can we do in our lifetime but just remember that we're all in the shared journey trying to figure it out but it's um so for me and in, in the work that's it's 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 hard and tricky but it's um but it's it's the essential part because if you can't um connect at a deeper level you're not gonna be able to do what i think is really surf surface work which for some feels like really important we gotta eliminate plastics we gotta do x y and z you know so yeah yeah I don't know yeah, if that makes sense. It yeah. does. It makes perfect sense. And it's beautiful. It's it's part of why I like to begin by asking, you know, what do you love and what breaks your heart? Because knowing that you love flowers and the feel of the cool fall air and seeing people open up to their potential and that lack of deep communication breaks your heart. Like I already can relate to you in such a different way than I could if I just asked. So tell me how you're getting rid of single use bags, even though we could probably both agree that's an important piece of the doing. Um, it's not 
you know, it's, it, it is sort of surface and like Joanna Macy talks about with the different aspects of the great turning, you know, there are the holding actions we do to stop harm, like not continue producing and throwing away single use bags. And then there's, there's reimagining the, the whole way that we do um, purchasing and buying things in stores and carrying them in bags or whatever that might be. And then there's the mindsets behind it that really, if we don't really reimagine what it is to be human on this planet, will we simply recreate other versions of the same problems, right? All those pieces have to be in there. Right. Yeah. I, I think on, on this work, I, I, at when I can remind people or um, try to help them maybe see, and I don't know if I made it up or I heard it somewhere I can't remember, but it's, um, you know, the, the idea of, you know, single use or disposable, really disposable products. It's, it's built on a mindset of disposable people and a disposable planet. Right. And so, so, so much of this is about changing the narrative about, really how we other other um, how we other people and how we other the natural world mm-hmm. and rather than othering see what binds us and connects us yeah yeah so i wanted to ask you too about this kind of framing of the three stories of our time and you're probably familiar with this from joanna macy but for our listeners, I'll describe them briefly. And then I just want to ask how you personally are relating to these, where, how you find yourself living in one or two or all three of these stories. So the first story we are enacting as a species is business as usual, where we not only continue making single use bags, but we get really excited about buying more stuff to put in them and earning more money and making sure if we have a, you know, concern for others in the world, it's to help them be able to buy stuff too. Um, Business as usual is the whole way that human society has been moving um, historically. And then the second story would be the great unraveling, which with COP26 happening right now, and a lot of news about mass extinctions and ecological crisis and humanitarian crises, many people are living within that story, watching everything fall apart. And our third story, which we've already mentioned, is the great turning, the adventure story, the the great mystery of our time where human society is turning toward a life-sustaining way of being human on this planet. And there are so many facets of that great turning. I know you play your role in it. And I'm curious about all three of those. Do you find yourself in all three stories in one more than the other? What's that like for you? Oh, wow. I I think um, it's hard to imagine that anyone cannot play a part in all three. And um, because even if one is... um, whatever term you want to use, progressive or forward thinking, we are so deeply influenced by our broader culture. And um, and so that's the business as usual, right? Because when I say our broader culture, it's our culture is a, is a mindset, right? Uh, of hierarchy, um, 
of, of hierarchy of of, hi of of humans having a hierarchy of human value and uh, humans have a higher value of nature that's deeply ingrained um, and the idea of, of competition and so all of these are part of our everyday life you know they're 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 in our school system or judicial system all that sort of thing so so it's like how do we undo that without being influenced i i think that's one of the most difficult questions um and so i guess i see myself in in with respect to business as usual it's like i you know i go to a a grocery store i buy things i use a car and it's not that in in future world in in um in, in the great turning that those things won't be there, but I think they'll take a different form. They'll just take a different form. And so, but it's, so it's, I, I guess can't extract. So that's where I play in, in the great turning. You know, I, you know, do I um, have some savings in my bank account? Um, I do, right? All these things. And so I, I um, so, I think it's one of the things we have to do is to be gentle with ourselves because we, because none of us are perfect. We're all learning on this journey and to be kind to the parts of us that we don't like and where and how we play in business as usual and, and, um, and, and love those parts that are trying to be better and move forward. Um, and so I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling around here, but I but um, I, I think so often it's as though there's this purity test about how well for in in many parts of our culture about how well we are doing the most forward-looking things, and it's like yeah, yeah, and you know if we have if we have been traumatized and we've all been victims and we've all been victimizers, every single one of us. And so uh, if we aren't able to address those pieces of us moving forward, it's gonna keep playing out in cycles and cycles and cycles. So it's just a learning journey and we learn from one another. And I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but I, yep. I bouncing around the I big questions. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah right right but these are we we have to hold all of these right we have to hold these and i think so many people desperately want to be in in you know doing their part to maybe unravel and and you know whether you see it or not we're all we're all we're all part of the great turning we're all part of i think this evolution we're on this crazy planet in deep with so many relationships moving back and forth between the trees under our feet sick chemical signals in front of our nose we know we have bacteria in the soil moving into our gut upper vagus nerve into our brains you know asking you know really kind of begs a question of who's in charge we're it's the idea that that we humans are in charge and we're trying to save the planet the planet's all going to be fine and so i don't know um it is turning whether yeah. we like it or not and part of this is about recognizing um our our hubris and um taking on a little bit of humility yeah that's a great shift there a little little change in perspective about the turning is happening 
you know, what, how humans are playing a role in how things change. You know, I usually think of the great turning as a, as mostly a human project, you know, within the web of life, <laughs> um, not just humans, because we are not independent by any means, but that's sort of, yeah, it's about human society. It's about how we do our survival and our play and our coming together and, and how we can do that in a way that harmonizes with the rest of the earth. But as you said to me in a prior conversation, we are nature. So if we're asking how is nature adapting to all these changes and how are things turning, you know, we're, we're a piece of nature, the whole natural system reorganizing and we're, we're giving and receiving signals all the time. So. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, we're taking in oxygen and, and giving off carbon. We're desquamating. We're we're shuffling off skin. You know, yeah. that we're no we're different than when we both started this call. Yeah, right. And right. and um, but but you know, you go you can go into complexity science and understand that all of life and 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 communities of life are all what are called complex adaptive systems, and they exhibit this property of dynamic equilibrium, which means you know, staying still and moving at the same time it's like they're both both are happening but um and they have emergent properties which means that the sum is greater than the parts so liver cells are liver cells but suddenly you put them together there's a liver and they and it acts differently the same as ants in an ant colony and so um all of all 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 of life are these these complex adaptive systems which are self-healing by by their very nature and so, um, and so, I think part of that is recognizing that this planet, as a as a entity of all life forms, is 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 will be just fine, and will continue to seek um, equilibrium, and each of us humans as well. Um, I don't know really now where I'm going with that, but the idea is that um, it's seen their unique. We each have unique potential and we have the ability to heal yeah. and, and, and adapt. So, yeah. yeah. There's so many different directions I'm thinking about going because I, <laughs> I, I know how many things you've done in your life that are really intriguing to me and, and what you're doing now as well. But I, I'm sniffing down this trail, I guess, of <laughs> working within business as usual. Like you were talking about, we, we are so influenced by our culture and, and this is how we eat, you know, this is how we move around is within what structures have, have been made before us. So there's that. And I know you've, you've been exploring this rights of nature idea, which to me is a great example of, you know, shifting the paradigm at the same time as working within business as usual. And also this kind of paradox of rights of nature yet we are nature, you know? So I'm curious about that work and why you're drawn to it and, and what's at play there. Right. I was first introduced to it, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, I was at, um, um, anyways, doesn't, doesn't really matter, <laughs> but, but um, so there's uh, a number of us in our community that have been getting together to explore what, it, uh, what it would look like if we are to adopt a ballot initiative or if the city was to adopt a ballot initiative and grant our, the local river that flows into Lake Superior, the rights of nature. And this is part of, of, 
a, a broader global movement, um, which in some ways, so many paradoxes here, but you know, most of our environmental laws are property laws, which basically means, means um, we have given land as as it's you know it's a thing it's not a verb and uh and the uh, the environmental laws allow a certain amount of pollution if you will um and give the the owners of um <laughs> the ability to uh to to pollute but it's all based on on property rights and i think for me the beauty of of the rights nature work is that it bestows rights um um on of uh to nature but in so doing it's the right to flourish and thrive and so in in the the language and embodied in that is is our sort of i guess human rights um, but it really shifts from property to i guess nat natural rights and and there's something beautiful in there and you know quite frankly i um so in our work I, i've 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 sort of shared with our group that i think the most powerful part of the work is actually having conversations with people because for many it just seems so outlandish and so bizarre that how could you give nature right does that mean you would have a tree sitting in a courtroom or a mushroom or whatever part of nature <laughs> and 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 i think it's the conversation that we can have together right about because it forces people ask what they think is important and you know we already have we already have corporations have rights so that's bizarre in itself, mm -hmm. but for some strange reason, we think, and I think that's part of the business as usual. We, our brains have been, for some of what, for whatever reason, made to think that that makes sense, where giving nature rights doesn't. And then there's the irony, of course, that we would go to a human, um, a human appointed court um, to ask to ask them to grant nature rights and yeah. so it's like <laughs> who are we as humans to even do that right. it's just have taken so many, it's just so time. goofy in so many ways but it's but i think it's really the conversation if you know engaging people conversation and whether it passes or not um at some point you know as as we we're saying later um if we humans don't figure it out this planet and natural systems uh, will continue on will continue on yeah so I can really see the value of the conversation because getting people to ask, what would it mean for this river to have rights and why doesn't it already? And who are we to say so? And the whole, the whole range of questions there, if, if it were to pass, what would that look like? What, what would happen? I mean, the river's not going to come in the courtroom. So then are there supposed to be people who would represent yeah, there would be it, it, within the language, and we're still sorting the language out. But generally, in in similar cases around the country, uh, there are guardians who, um, by law, are supposed to um, be uh, represent. In this case, nature, in the same way as you can have court appointed uh, representatives for minors in, right. in the court, and okay. you know, corporation. You know, a corporation. There's there is a lawyer who represents the corporation if you want to look at it from that perspective right there's, there's not a thing called 
there's not a there's not a an entity called called Amazon that can actually sit down in a court. So it's it's yeah. really no it's really no different. Okay. So what would be like the dream come true here if if this passes and someone can represent for the river or a group of guardians can represent then then what becomes possible and what becomes impossible for the river? I think it's for me for me what becomes possible is that the our community and and the ripples that it sends to Minnesota and neighboring states are the same as the ripples that are being sent in other places where these are being adopted that people start to imagine and see themselves as part of nature and that we are all alive and we cannot flourish and thrive with with one another that's that's the possible i think it's the possible that it that it mm, gives ourselves a big clunk in the head and shifts our worldview, right? Start to shift our worldview. I think it is so difficult for people to imagine, to, to be slow down and think differently. For me, that's the possible. It's not, it's not, it's not the court case and the win and a victory of this is, this is, this is a longer, this is, this is this is something that is that will take a while. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful for you, but I. It but is. That's, yeah. 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 I love it. I mean, I'm I'm imagining a future where you know, if there were, let's say, a, a manufacturing plant or a, a person in charge of that plant who wanted to dump something toxic in the river, that the culture would just not stand for that. Instead of the cultural assumption that, like, oh well, that's how it goes. If the cultural assumption was that we treat the river as a living being who we love and respect that it would that that a move like that would be so widely rejected it would be shocking you know and and, and, and yes and that business that manufacturer the the owners and the workers and everyone there are part of our broader culture so they would yeah. likely not even have to worry about the law because they would create processes and right you know adopt green chemistry practices so they're not even manufacturing toxic chemicals because they realize that oh we are part of a whole regenerative economy right yeah right yeah. so so it just starts flipping everything right? yeah and, and, and the, the, those ideas wouldn't get very far like i mean that's what all of our laws are for right like we collectively agree to drive in a certain way so we don't hit each other and when someone deviates from that it's so noticeable because it's just not, it's not what we expect. It's not what we choose to, to support. And so, yeah, I love that. Like even the people working there, if there were one person who had the idea, well, maybe we could just do it this way and then dump it in the river, you know, that that would be, that that would be counterculture um, and, and the green chemistry or whatever they had worked out or would be working on would, would feel normal. Right. It would be normal. It'd be w within business and within our schools within everything it, mm -hmm. this we wouldn't even be having this conversation about what it would like just, it could just yeah. be deeply yeah. embedded so this is yeah. part of that great you know this is part of the great turning this great consciousness shift and well, it's oh sorry go ahead you know it, it's happening everywhere and you know i go back i love complexity science but emergence happens you know things mm -hmm. come from out of the blue we don't know when they're going to happen and it's so difficult because many of us are so desperate, feel so desperate and hungry for a change, but there are these seeds being planted everywhere. And, you know, I think if you look back at, you know, 
whatever, you know, look back at the civil rights or even Me Too movement, or suddenly there was all, you can look back and say, oh, that's how it suddenly happened. But at the time, it just seemed impossible, right? Some of these things. And then boom, a flip happens. And that's, that's, that's where I'm, that's, that's, if I was a betting person, that's where I'd bet on emergence. It's a beautiful thing. So I, I love what I feel like you're demonstrating here in that I, I was kind of asking a business as usual question and trying to, and trying to say, okay, well, if this law passes, you know, what kinds of things can we prevent and what kinds of things are more possible? And, and you've pulled it into the, you know, that third aspect of the great turning, which is the, the reimagining our whole mindset and, and our value system and new ways of, of seeing. And so even how you're in this process around legality, but even that is a piece of changing the whole outlook on it. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, for me, that's sort of what I was trying to get to earlier in our conversation is that um, for some people, this is going to change the world. We're going to have a law and stop those bad people, right? Yeah. But if we are all connected, which I truly believe, then we're bad people, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. so, so. So it's, it's the shift and the change and how do we, how, how do we create the shift that, um, if, that if we walk in love, we all walk in love. Right. And, and yeah. so it's that, it's that bigger shift. You can't divide the two. There's not bad people and good people. Right. We're all, yeah. we're all part of this. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, but some, I think part of the, our collective work, our collective work is helping people re- somehow help them see that in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. That their inner self is a reflection of the outer world and their outer world is a reflection of their inner world and all of this. So it's like these laws that protect us, I think they also hurt us. Um, and so anyways. Yeah. You yeah, get well, it. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> I do. I think I do too. Um, and I'm just, you know, well, a couple things popped to mind. One was listening to a young woman talk about the farming community she grew up in. And, and it was in response to this sort of sentiment in the room about like those bad farmers who spray pesticides, you know, and, and kill the bees and, and, um, damage the groundwater and all of this. And she was saying, you know, I don't know any farmers who get up feeling like I'm so excited to go spray today. Like they don't want to breathe it in either, no kidding. Yeah. you know, and it's, we're, we're, it's a mistake to imagine that there's um, a good side and a bad side in all of this. We're all in the same kind of mess around, <laughs> you know, pesticides, for example, together, you know, playing different roles in, in how do we solve this problem? Right. I think um, the, the, the more we we think of people as villains, the more we we feed the villain in ourselves. You know, we've we've all got that. We've all got. We all have shadows and so forth. And so, um, yeah, exactly. I'm really glad that you shared that story because it's it's such a reminder. I I really don't think people want to go out into the world and hurt and harm. No. 
No, I don't think so. So I hear a lot in, in how you're speaking that makes me want to come back to what you said in the very beginning about people. Um, I forget the exact words you used, but sort of waking up to their potential, that personal transformation. And I know that your work with doctors and the psychedelic research and training has to do with that, that individual level of experience and would you say transformation or opening? Um, and also you've spoken about the sacred and really looking to, to our lives as an experience of the sacred spiritual beings in bodies. And I just want to make an opening for, for any mm -hmm. of that, if you want to speak to it. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess, for um, those of uh, those who know me as to uh, why. So I've stepped in as this executive director of, of Prati, the Psychedelic Research and Training Institute, and it's it's a new world for me, quite frankly. Um, and and um, and but I was intrigued and pulled. And now that I've been working in this space, it's it's been just really exciting to me for for many reasons one is that one is that when we host our trainings we bring uh, we hold the sacred we create this container if you will but uh, of uh, and so i think many of the folks coming in think they're just going to get powerpoint slides which they do get those and they think they might hear some experts and they do hear that but really what they don't expect is that the connections are going to meet with one another and how we hold the space. We do a fire ceremony, we create a mandala and, and we invoke the sacred because when you look at all the research around psychedelics, almost all of the transformation and um, whether it's anxiety or treatment resistant depression or PTSD, all the benefits um, are for, for the most part, the benefits are directly correlated to the mystical experience. And there's different ways of measuring that, you know, the MBQ or the ego dissolution index, but at the core, it's like a godlike experience that mm -hmm. it's about seeing themselves as part of something bigger and it just unlocks something. And so for me, I think that's really my path. You know, I worked on this toxics campaign, food systems, living economies, all of this was holism and, and I think what what I didn't fully see or fully appreciate it was um, that at the core of this work is a sacred or oneness or spirit. That is that big mystery that drives us all. And and you know I I remember I remember years ago um, part of our work around working with major health systems was to uh, was strategic we would use their purchasing dollars and engage them as allies in shifting their purchasing dollars to move away from pvc or phthalate um, you know phthalate leading plastics or you know or meat raised with antibiotics you, you know you name it but they control millions and sometimes billions worth of purchasing dollars and to see a purchasing agent suddenly like suddenly see it's like oh I can just change the criteria in our contracts just slightly and really make a change. And they could see themselves as something part bigger. And then they just got activated. And that happened time and time again. It was the most exciting thing. So that that was that was moons ago, but it's that same transformation or in our work at city council, you know, with 
we, we were trying to pass an ordinance, which we did, and it just went into place a couple of weeks ago around that campaign that I was describing. But to see students come in and suddenly feel like, oh, they, you know, a 14-year-old student or a 16-year-old, and they could mm, speak to city councillors, people in, you know, quote-unquote authority, and be heard and be praised. And it's just like unleashed their potential. They could see so much more. And so all of this, that's where it gets exciting. But part of that is seeing that their, their inners their inner voice, that feeling grounded and be able to speak that voice. It's that's that's when that's when I don't know, the spirit is calling calling through them. And and you can tell because they just feel grounded and sure and it's and it's such a beautiful thing in that shift. But you know, the psychedelic work, I, I don't even really like the word psychedelic. I was just at a gathering that I came back from a, a couple of days ago and um, there was some whole variety of sort of creatives and people really uh, a group where we're trying to hosted by project reconsider a beautiful gathering really uh, one of the core themes was how do we how do we shift the narrative um in our cultures um, that clearly seeks a cultural narrative business as usual that works under fear and um and and benefits um benefits by othering and how can we how how can we shift that? And there was uh, some indigenous um, healers plant that that hold ceremony for plant medicines, and they, um, in a loving way, shared how the word medicine is kind of an interesting thing, uh, and that really they see these medicines and the language or the words that they use are teachers. So it's like plant teachers. And, uh -huh. and so um, I'm of the beliefs, quite frankly, that is, it is some medicines that are, that are calling us right now. Um, but, you know, again, even in the sort of the healthcare or the psychedelic space, there's, you know, this, this, the, the unraveling and the turning are, are, are all three are happening in business as usual yeah. one, yeah. you know, you have, there's this language that's used about above ground and underground. And so above ground means, you know, trying to bring these messages in and strategically it, it makes sense because it's about creating sort of the infrastructure and to have them legalized. And so that the benefits can, can accrue. And of course you have money flowing in to capitalize the adventure capital, the private investments, buying up clinics. And then there's the underground movement, which is just, you know, everywhere I have uh, around the country, there are people who are seeking healing and holding ceremony. And, and I think in this sort of broader national conversation around whether you it's uh, colonialism that we're trying to tear down or paternalism. And yes, I understand uh, deeply the pain and hurt that is that it has caused so many but I think in this like whether it's um, that it's how do you how do you take these structures and and compost what doesn't isn't serving us as mm -hmm. as human beings that want that desire to be fully alive on this living planet how do you compost those 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 parts so that it can create the new and how do you hospice and and move over the parts that there it's not all bad nothing's all bad and so um again i i, I segue and 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 weave here but I, I i think you know even integrative medicine as to this is energy medicine quite frankly it's it's not what one does but it's 
Um, it's how one facilitates an inner healer, whether you're a, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner or, or you know, a, a trained in, in Western philosophy, those healers that do the good work are holding space. They're holding mm -hmm. space and listening. And for me, all of that is, is trying to touch and, and bring the sacred back. So we're putting, you know, we're putting the economy in service to the sacred or health care the business and service to the sacred instead of the other way around mm -hmm. wow what a transformation and 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 not just just all the imagery the composting and the hospicing and what comes up from underground it's like one um image within the fractal of how everything can shift what you're talking about within healthcare and yeah, you know, we're seeing, you know, the work that's, you know, we're suddenly now there's evidence that if you uh, are working with groups, my wife is an integrative provider and hosts groups on mindfulness-based pain reduction. And it's this beautiful work where you get 15 people together. And and these are folks who have, have had chronic pain and are just, have been desperate with their pain. And not only through uh, the sharing of mindfulness practice, but by being together in a group and seeing that they're not alone, they're able to significantly reduce their pain scores. Right? Wow! And so, so it is. It is about just think. Quite frankly, this is about thinking differently and seeing yourselves as part of a bigger whole. That's and you know we're seeing in other group practices and and um, you know and this is this is how we live. We're in relationship even yeah. though our business as usual says we're separate and alone and we have to fill our lives with a bunch of um of commodities to make ourselves happy and we know that's not the case mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it feels like much like the conversation about rights of nature where the sort of crack <laughs> the crack in the wall that appears in the light that starts streaming in if we give rights to a river suddenly we might all of a sudden start relating to the rest of the living earth with a different kind of respect similarly with with um you know you're talking about above above and below or underground and above ground and, <laughs> and what what will happen like this if if the main part of the experience that is so healing is about a mystical experience and I know this, the, that this is what people imagined in the 60s and uh, when, when there was kind of the first wave of psychedelic medicine in this country um, in, within the, the more mainstream. But like, will it crack? You know, <laughs> will we start to, to let this other, this light in that, that lets us look at the whole thing differently, look at our relationship to one another and our relationship to the sacred differently on a cultural level. You know, if it does, if, if even within the above ground settings where people are doing things, like you said, measuring the mystical experience and measuring ego dissolution, because we love to do that, you know, and, yeah. and look for the measurements, but, but even, even with those, those pieces still there, do you, am I getting at, at my question in any kind of clear way? Like, do you see something uh, opening even on a one-on-one -on -one basis or in these seminars and gatherings like the foundations of the business as usual kind of shakes a little bit yeah i i i think i understand your question but i i um i think 
um, if we're trying to see the answer or the solution in a rights of nature law or or some research on the mystical experience and how um, that predicts you know emotional processing and that and thus pro uh, predicts um, decrease anxiety or etc I, th I think we're looking at wrong I think we have to look at it whole because if we yeah. look at if we look at those individual pieces we miss we miss how all of this work is connected so w there's work on around on shifting ownership models right around businesses around co-ops and and worker owned and multi-stakeholder i just met an individual uh in in the hudson valley two two wonderful people who are creating hudsey which is a um a a worker a creator and a community multi-stakeholder cooperative around um, content creation, creative content creation, video, music, and so forth. And so cool. they are they are like many, many others around this country creating different ownership models, which uh, which allows a broader broader stake, deconcentration of, of power and wealth. And you could say if if one follows that trajectory around economic models, we can start to see a movement towards gifting economy, which you know, if you remember that Einstein, I think once said that, you know, all matter, all matter is energy. So it's like, even this concept of ownership, it's just sort of this goofy concept, right? But so all of these pieces, so if you look and see those, it is, it is all happening and it's slowly connecting. Um, mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the rules and structures of business as usual are, are, are quickly becoming undone because, because we're living we're living beings that want to be fully alive and um and and we are calling and 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 evolving uh, on this planet and um and the emperor really has no clothes even mm -hmm. though the emperor kind of wants to hold on to them for a little bit but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so that's a really cool uh concrete example of a ch that change in ownership structures you know the co-op model and I'm wondering if in your, I know you're holding this question of what does it look like for our economy to be in service of the sacred? And I'm wondering if you've, if you've ever seen an example, even if it was just a moment where you're like, okay, this feels right to me. This feels like the economy is in, in service of what we want it to be rather than we're in service of the economy. I don't know if there's a perfect example. I just, you know, there are so many, so many evolving examples because quite honestly, we're having to undo the legal structures that we have put in place that have guided our economy for the last whatever hundred years or, or more. And so yeah. I don't, I don't think of there being perfect. It's like, what is a perfect flower? Or what is a perfect, you know, yeah. they're yeah. all, they're all, each of them are kind of evolving. I'm, I'm sit on, on the board of our co-op with two stores and, you know, that's, that's a beautiful model. It's not perfect. This example that I showed, there's, 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 there's so many different models evolving. There is, you know, so, so we're all learning. It's like this learning ecosystem about in, in Cleveland, there's this beautiful evergreen 
cooperatives where the anchor institutions, universities and hospitals work together to help co-form a worker-owned cooperative which grows food and and where they share their uh, where they do the laundry for these anchor institutions and it's um, an example of local wealth creation. So mm. you know all of these are that has been, sort of a guiding star for many for many in, in this world and so these are all these little it's growing and evolving and you know what then starts happening is is that the um, the roadblocks the legal roadblocks to further evolution of these models are then moved to um, the legislative arena and and we start to slowly change state laws and you know and so a number of years ago we were not able to do um, do uh, crowdsourcing of, of financing. So now, uh, uh, in many states, I think in all states, we can do direct public offerings and move outside of out of Wall Street to mm -hmm. uh, collectively um, fundraise. And so it's all evolving. So we're not stuck. You know, we're not stuck. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. guess that's that's I get excited in helping nourish and feed all these different models and really helping people see that they're all connected. Right. They're yeah. all connected. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just love your images of people being excited when they realize their own potential, the possibility of their impact, like the one purchasing agent who can help get to this point where healthcare mer mercury is no longer a thing or the one student who gets to speak to the council. Um, I, right. I, I share that love with you, like watching an individual person light up and feel a new sense of possibility is one of my favorite things. So I, was, I know I was going to say, you know, yeah. you're, you're a clinician, as I understand. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure you see that and the energy you put out this, you yeah. know, basically you're helping, helping people see the inner healer. It's yeah. like, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we come to the end of this delightful hour, and we've we've touched on so much, I just want to ask, well, if there's anything else that you want to share that is that's on your mind and heart, and also if you have one suggestion or invitation for people listening, if they're feeling inspired and wondering, you know, well, what, what am I going to do? Anything you would offer to them about something they could move forward with here after listening to this? Oh. Um, well, first, I just like it's such a joy. It's such a joy to be in this conversation with you and and for you doing this work and connecting people because it is it continues to put spark and joy and and hope into this world. Um, and um, and with respect to what people can do, oh, I, I there's so much, but I think one is. One is to just slow down a little bit. One is to slow down and, and remember that being is more important than doing, um, or that's where you need to start. And to remember that you are not alone. If you want to do something or inspired, reach out because you are not alone and none of us can do this work together because we are all in relationship whether we see it or not so i don't know if that's helpful or not but that is helpful because i do think often people are thinking well what am i going to do and it's not it's never just you <laughs> it's never what am i going to do alone 
It's what, what are we going to do together? We're not. Yeah. And people this. are thinking the yeah. same old thing as you are. And they're yeah. also thinking that, huh, I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't know if it can be done. And you know, yep. you just got to try. Yep. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. Amy. <laughs> Is there a good way for people to find you online or connect with you if they want to learn more and Sure. There's, you know, you could go to Prati, pratigroup.org, or I actually have a, a website, jamieharvey.com. I'm on LinkedIn and you can probably Google me and find me. And okay. And yeah, pretty easily. So yeah. I'll make it even easier and I'll link in the show notes. That would be lovely. Your yeah. website and the Prati website. Okay, too, sweet. So. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again, Jamie. Oh, this has been lovely. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you're thinking or feeling or wondering with a comment at turningseason.com slash episode seven, or you can contact me on Instagram. I'm at Leilani underscore underscore Navarre. I'll be back again with your next episode of Active Hope on the full moon in January. In the meantime, share this or any of these conversations that have meant something to you with someone else who might appreciate them. And thank you for all the ways you play your part.